Hey, do you know what the most popular game in the world is right now? I mean, could it be World of Warcraft or Minecraft or Warzone or Fortnite? Or for another generation, maybe your guess would be Monopoly, Risk, Bunko, Scrabble, Battleship, Shoots and Ladders. (laughs) Or perhaps it's a fantasy baseball uh, game with the Cubs winning the World Series. (laughs) Oh, that is a fantasy, isn't it? Actually, it's none of those. The most popular game in the world is also the oldest game. And it's been played by every human being ever born. It's called the blame game. And most of us are experts at it. And the problem is that this is not just a game. It has ruptured relationships It has fractured multiple families. And the blame game lives in our spiritual DNA. You see, after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, sin's first consequence was shame. They tried to cover themselves up. They sewed fig leaves together, those itchy leaves. They kept falling off. It didn't work. And after this, they heard the Lord God walking in the garden, and so they cowered in fear, and they ran for cover. The shame of their sin caused them to hide from God's holiness, and just a short time earlier, they had enjoyed intimate fellowship, but now the fruit of disobedience had caused distance and dissonance between them and their Creator. After covering up and attempting to conceal themselves, we read these words in verse 9 of chapter 3 of Genesis. We read, where are you? God calls out to Adam. Don't you love how the good shepherd looks for his lost sheep? God comes to the guilty couple, and instead of driving them away, he drew them out. He drew them out with his grace and his mercy. And last weekend, we celebrated how God loves to seek sinners and longs to save them. This is a good place to pause and explain how we understand preaching at Edgewood. In short, we allow the scripture text to determine what is preached. So our preferred method is expository preaching, which presents the meaning and intent of a biblical text through the study of grammar, context, and historical setting to provide commentary and examples which make the passage clear and understandable. You see, we want to know what the Bible means before we head to what does it mean to me. And our aim is to preach the word and apply it to our world, trusting the Holy Spirit to change lives. Or as we say in our on-mission radio program on Moody Radio, go deep in God's word and keep applying it to your world. Well, because we're going through these first chapters of Genesis, verse by verse, we've come across some topics that have incredible application to our cultural situation. We've addressed topics like the existence of God, creationism, the sanctity of human life, men and women created as male and female, 
We've addressed marriage, the historicity of Adam and Eve, how temptation works, the slippery slope of sin, and the seeking heart of God. This weekend, our focus is on how we often evade responsibility by blaming others when we sin. So if last week was about grace, and that message maybe made us smile, uh, this weekend's more about truth. This message may sting. That leads to our text for today. If you're able to stand, would you stand and read with me Genesis chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. You can be seated. After reflecting on this scripture, I wrote down this summary. The shame of our sin often leads us to shift the blame. Don't play the blame game. Own it by name and avoid the shame. So God continues to draw Adam and Eve out of hiding. And he asks two questions. Notice the first question. It's indirect. It's designed to stir up Adam's conscience to elicit a confession. Who told you that you were naked? It's a rhetorical question designed to help Adam link the shame of being naked with the guilt that comes from disobeying God. You have observed, haven't you, how our culture is so quick to get rid of any kind of guilt? I mean, don't feel bad for what you've done. You do you. You live your truth. I'll live my truth. If you feel bad, think of a way to get rid of that. Listen, there is something called true guilt. And guilt is actually God's gift because once we admit our guilt, we're in position to receive God's grace. The second question follows immediately. It's more direct. Have you eaten of the tree? of which I commanded you not to eat. The word order in Hebrew intensifies the question, did you from the tree which I commanded you not to eat from, eat? You see, God was inviting Adam to acknowledge that the shame that he was experiencing was a direct result of his sin so that Adam would confess. God was reminding Adam that when he ate of the tree, he was deliberately disobeying the very clear command. Go back with me to verse 17 of Genesis 2. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here's what we're going to see. Adam was very uncomfortable answering that question. He'd rather shift the blame minimize what he did and make himself out to be a victim. Mm, Some of us do the same thing. See, instead of running behind a tree, they now hide behind five different excuses, which are still very common today. 
Now, before we go much further, let's just collectively confess we are no better than Adam and Eve. (laughs) In fact, we've had millennia to perfect the blame game. And most of us qualify as expert gamers. (laughs) And so as we walk through these verses, let's be willing to hold up the mirror of God's word so we can see ourselves, not the person we're sitting next to, but we can see ourselves as we really are. First thing we see, the first excuse is to accuse others. Instead of answering God's yes or no question by just naming what he did, Adam did some gaming and he went straight to blaming. Uh, Join me in verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. The first person he blamed was Eve. Actually, he called her the woman. No doubt to distance himself from her. I'm reminded of what President Bill Clinton did, his infamous excuse for sin, when he referred to Monica Lewinsky as that woman. You see, Adam tried to pin his sin on Eve. She gave me fruit. It's almost like Adam didn't have a choice. If it weren't for her giving the fruit to him, he never would have munched on the mango. Now remember, a couple weeks ago, we don't have any evidence that it was an apple. It may have been, it doesn't say. But Adam's sin is particularly egregious because he blamed Eve after he had just complimented her. After he had just broken out into this beautiful Hebrew poetry Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Hey, are you devious and defensive like Adam was? Do these expressions sound familiar or something like them? If only he weren't so lazy, I wouldn't have blown up. Or, I wouldn't drink so much if she would just stop nagging me. Someone has said that if you can smile when things go wrong, it means that you've thought of someone to blame. In Exodus chapter 32, we see an example of how Aaron shirked responsibility for his sin when he made a golden calf to worship. Here's the setting. Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God. He gave him a chance to confess when he came down. So Moses asked Aaron a question. What did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? Would you note how Aaron tried to evade the question and avoid responsibility? His excuse is lame. Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil for they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we, don't, we do not know what has become of him. So 
I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. (laughs) He's not taking any responsibility. He blamed the people. He blamed Moses for being gone so long. He minimized his role and responsibility, even blamed the furnace for its delivery of the golden calf. Friends, the only thing some people learn from their sins is how to blame them on others. So let's stop blaming others for our sins. Anyone uncomfortable yet? I've just lost all eye contact with people (laughs) while we're just getting started. (laughs) See, the shame of our sin often leads to blame shifting. Let's not do that. Let's not play that game. Let's own our sin by name. When we do, we can avoid the shame. Here's the second excuse, to charge God. It's common to accuse those who are close to us in order to excuse our own sin. But Adam now does something even more nefarious. Listen to the verse again as I emphasize another word. The woman you gave me. Unbelievably, Adam's now playing the blame game with God. God, if you wouldn't have given me this dangerous woman, I never would have done it. You could read it like this. That woman by my side, she was given to me by you to be a trusty helper. She gave me the fruit. Have you noticed God often gets blamed for choices we make? consequences that happen in our life because of choices. We take it out on God. God often gets blamed for every bad thing that happens in the world. One pastor put it like this, Adam implies that a better God would not have given him Eve. Adam's becoming like Satan, who argued that a better God wouldn't withhold anything from his people. Like the serpent, Adam says that God's good gift is actually malicious. He's minimizing and criticizing the goodness of God. Adam's trying to blame God in order to alleviate his own shame and his own guilt. Proverbs 19.3 tells us this does not work out so well. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against God. See, those who charge God with their own sins end up getting very angry and becoming bitter. Incredibly, in the book of Job, when you get towards the end, God starts asking Job questions. Uh, Listen to Job 40, verse 8. It's quite convicting. This is God speaking to Job. Will you even put me in the wrong? Hey, Job, will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Notice how Adam used the word gave twice. First, he said Eve gave the fruit to him, and second, it was God who gave Eve to him. Adam's implying that God is ultimately responsible for what happened. Ah, remember James 1.13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So the shame of our sin often leads us to look around and begin pointing fingers at others or at God. Don't play that game. Own your sin, and in the process, you'll avoid the shame. Number three, pointing to circumstances. So inherent in this passage is another excuse, and it's found in the phrase, Eve Adam used when he blamed Eve. Here's the phrase, to be with me. She's with me. Adam's pointing to situations or circumstances as reasons for sinning. Well, let me flesh that out with some examples. It might sound something like this in our world today. Everyone else is doing it. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or my situation is so bad that looking at porn is an outlet for me. Or my boss doesn't appreciate me, so it's okay to falsify my expense report. I was at a party and someone offered me drugs and I just couldn't say no. Or we've been dating a long time and we love each other. Or I just have a short fuse so I blow up sometimes. Or if I wasn't so tired, I wouldn't have tossed that verbal grenade at you. Or I flipped someone off because he cut me off. Or I was just sharing a prayer request. Susan Jacoby writes about people who profoundly believe they're always losers in the game of life. She calls them injustice collectors. An injustice collector endlessly repeats how others have mistreated them. Secondly, they view the world as hostile and unfair to them. Injustice collectors are beachcombers of misery where they see each grievance as a treasure to add to their collection. Number four, they have a hidden need to feel wronged. And finally, they live by the childish notion that life should always be fair to them. On the old TV show, Hee Haw, how many of you remember that song or that show? It means you're old. (laughs) I remember it too. So in one episode, a patient comes up to Dr. Campbell and he tells him that he broke his arm in two places. The wise doctor replied, well then, stay out of them two places. (laughs) Friends, there are places and situations you need to stay out of as well. But even when we are in tempting places, we cannot use that as an excuse to sin. 1 Corinthians 10.13 promises, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the shame that comes from our sins often leads us. We don't like that shame. We shift the blame. We blame it on God. We blame it on, blame it on our circumstances. Friends, it's time to stop playing that game and just owning our sins. Number four, blaming the devil. <laughs> the oldest game in the world isn't over, and the blaming picks up speed. Verse 13, now God asks Eve a probing question. Eve answers, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Here's her answer. The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
She tried to attribute her infraction to the evil one. This is the classic, the devil made me do it defense. And some of you probably remember when Flip Wilson popularized that phrase, but he didn't make that up. No, that phrase goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Satan is certainly an active agent in our temptation, but friends, he's often given way too much credit or blame than he deserves. Satan tempts us, but he cannot make us do anything. And yet, some people are certain that the devil is behind their actions, and therefore, they're not responsible for what they do. Now, let's give Eve credit. She didn't blame God. She didn't blame Adam. She even admitted she was deceived. However, she does some major blame shifting as well. Let's go to number five, using euphemisms. If we go back to our text, we see that both Adam and Eve finally admitted that they ate, but observed they did not confess that they had deliberately disobeyed God's command. At the end of verse 12, Adam said, and I ate. Eve reluctantly admitted the same. They put it at the very end, and I ate. They're really employing euphemisms. So what's a euphemism? Well, euphemism is a polite expression used in place of words or phrases Well, that otherwise might be considered too harsh or unpleasant to hear. Sin loves to hide behind euphemisms. Here are some that came to mind. Moral failure, mistake, flaw, error, problem, indiscretion, oversight, shortcoming, slip up, misstep, blunder. One way we can fight against This is to use the words the Bible uses. Let me give four examples. Instead of saying, I just stretched the truth, it's better to say, I just sinned by lying to you. Instead of saying, I just have a bad temper, it's more accurate to say, I just sinned against you with my words my harsh words, would you please forgive me? Instead of saying I had an affair or a fling, it's more biblical to say I committed adultery. Instead of saying, well, we just hooked up. No, it's more biblical to say I sinned by having sex outside of marriage as defined by God as a covenant commitment between one man and one woman. One pastor put it like this, until we fear sin and its consequences more keenly, we will not prize our pardon very highly. Ooh, let me rewind. Until we fear sin and its consequences more keenly, we will not prize our pardon very highly. So I don't know what you're thinking, but you're probably thinking, man, this is like in your face today. All of this may sound blunt, But listen, stay with me. It's better to call sin what it is. Why? Well, let me tell you why. I can't wait to tell you. There's a solution for sin. It's called repentance and forgiveness. So here's the deal. Until we acknowledge that we've sinned, 
We'll just stay living like we are, blaming, living with shame and guilt. We won't experience the forgiveness and the freedom that God wants to give us, and we'll continue to swim in our shame and be gutted by our guilt. It's one of the many reasons I love the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. Most who are involved in that ministry are quick to admit their sins. They're quick to admit what they've done wrong and receive forgiveness. I have a friend who used to work for DCFS as an investigator. And one time I asked him, what percent of people end up blaming somebody else or a circumstance for their problems? He didn't even have to think. His answer was so quick. He said, 60 to 70 percent. He often tells people, quote, it would be nice to hear the truth for once. I've been lied to enough today. Friends, the shame of our sin, if we don't deal with that, leads us to shift the blame. Let's be done playing that game and let's call it what it is, sin, so that we can avoid the shame. Ponder these questions. Number one, Is it your practice, is this your go-to behavior to accuse others in order to excuse your own behavior? Question two, are you quick to charge God with wrongdoing as an excuse for doing wrong yourself? Question number three, do you point to circumstances instead of being quick to confess your sins. Number four, do you blame the devil to avoid your own shame? And finally, do you use a whole bunch of different words as a way to avoid the clear commands of God and to avoid what you've done and what God calls it? I like how someone put it, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. I'm not going to repeat that. You can talk to your neighbor after the service. But listen, most of us, if we're honest, we think our sins smell better than other people's sins. We're really quick to justify ourselves and blame other people while looking at others and judging them quickly. How do I know? Because I do it, and so do you. And I think it's because we secretly look down on people who sin differently than we do. Listen. Get this, without a deep working of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit convicting us and tenderizing us, we will continue to do exactly what Adam and Eve did and will perpetuate the blame game for future generations. On Thursday night, Pastor Kyle led an outstanding training event for over 50, that's right, 5-0 of our growth group leaders and those involved with intentional discipleship. 
After hearing testimonies of life change, I was reminded again how spiritual growth happens best in groups. As part of our Everyone vision for 2023, we're encouraging everyone to be involved in a group and for everyone to be discipled or to be involved in discipling others. And now we have a number of new leaders, so we're able to offer new groups. I'm thrilled about that. But here's another advantage of being part of a group. When you're in a group, you receive encouragement in your faith journey. So you continue to pursue God and pursue holiness and godliness and stop blaming others. You get encouragement and you also receive accountability. And if you're not in a group yet, simply fill out the Next Steps card in front of you. We have all kinds of groups. There's groups meeting right now during this hour. There's groups at 1045. There's actually a group that meets at 8 in the morning on Sundays, and we have groups throughout the week as well. One evening, several college students spread Limburger cheese on the upper lip of their sleeping roommate. <laughs> Upon awakening, the young man sniffed, looked around, and he said, this room stinks. He went out into the hall, sniffed, looked around, and said, this hallway stinks. Then he went outside, and he looked around, sniffed, and said, the whole world stinks. (laughs) Friends, we all have Limburger on our lips. And that stink, that smell we smell, comes from the foulness and the rancidness of our own hearts. Listen, we must accept full responsibility for our guilt if we hope to experience God's grace. We need to get to the place David did when he clearly confessed his sin. He didn't confess it initially. This would be his sin with Bathsheba, adultery, and killing Uriah, murder. He didn't do it initially, but notice 2 Samuel 12, 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Or how about Achan, after first covering up and concealing his sin, Achan finally confessed with deep contrition, Joshua 7.20, truly I have, notice, no blaming, no pointing to circumstances, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. If you keep reading, he gets very specific on what he did. Write this down, if we don't own our sins, they'll end up owning us. Or say it like this, when we keep silent about our sins and just blaming everybody else, our sins will consume us. We have a choice. We can confess or suppress our sins. David learned this the hard way. Perhaps you're here today or you've been here. Check out Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. It affected him physically. It also affected him at a deep level, emotionally and spiritually, through my groaning all day long. It never stopped. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. 
Now, I commend the rest of Psalm 32 because David discovers the joy. Also read Psalm 51 where he says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. See, God's invitation for confession is not to shame us. It's to set us free. (laughs) Jesus is the only person in history who didn't try to pass the buck to someone else. In fact, on the cross, he took the blame for people like us who struggle to take the blame. The good news of the gospel is we can pass along our guilt to him, and in exchange, he grants us his grace, his forgiveness, and freedom. Well, since... We've heard some words today from God's word. My guess is the Holy Spirit's at work in your life right now. I want you to just to close your eyes and just pray. And if something's coming up and you've been pushing it back down, just say, God, I'm a sinner and I've been messing up. And whatever it is, he's prompting you to correct, to confess, to bring out of the shadows. Uh, Do it right now. With your eyes still closed, allow the beauty of this promise to flow over you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He does more. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen.